sitting in my office reading a book by a dead guy. So then they picked dead mentors. Spurgeon, Calvin, Luther. Dead guys who are not going to actually get to know them or correct them. I have never read a book by a dead guy and had some thoughts in my head that occurred as a result of reading the dead guy's book where the dead guy began to argue with me. This is the Dead Guy Reader Society. Welcome back to another edition. Bro, I almost said Matter of Theology, but it's Matter of Theology Presents the Dead Guys Reader Society. Uh, the Dead Guy Reader Society exists for those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love to read the dead guys, those precious brethren who are no longer on this side of heaven, whose ministry and writings have stood the test of time. Those who through the, their ministry still encourage us, they lift us up. And contrary to what some have said, they do still argue with and admonish us through the written and or spoken word. Welcome to officially officially to episode number two. So first on, on behalf of my, my co-host, on behalf of the Christian podcast community and the bar network, thank you for the feedback thus far on the Dead Guy Reader Society. We've seen some movement on some gear and some merch, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you want your own uh, Dead Guy Reader Society, uh, make worship regulative again, reckless love is stupid. Uh, Anything like that in in shirt or cup form, coffee cup, or do we have any tumblers? We need to do some tumblers if we don't. Um, Think about it. Plus, yeah, yeah. there's that. There's the matter of sheology shirt, the weaker and, vessel. That's right, the weaker vessel. Um, and I'm I'm working on a new matter of sheology Uh-oh. shirt. Um, not going to unveil it yet. But <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be really good. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I I I corresponded with uh, our muse, right? The the one who who had the idea for the first one. That's right. And I said, hey, I got this idea. Give me something witty to say. And she did. And I was like, that's perfect. She she and her husband are both full of witty statements. So I, I, I'm well, looking you, forward. Well, you know why, right? Why, you know what, why? What do you mean? Do you know why they're so witty? No. Because they listen to and read uh, a lot of Doug Wilson and Canon Press. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And they love the dead guys too. And they um, love the dead guys. They do. Right. They do so because sometimes when I read her Twitter, I'm like, I can see the Doug Wilson, <laughs> right? Same. And I'm not mad at it. Same, same, same. Uh, so head on over to uh, our bonfire page, and I'll uh, continue to put the the link to the in the show notes. Uh, order yours once it arrives, guys. Make sure you're taking pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, take pictures with it. Now, I do ta- want to say because it. yeah. because it's bonfire, it is made to order. Correct. So when you so when you order it. Right, it doesn't just immediately ship. They make right. it and then they yep. send it out. So it yep. could take a couple of weeks for it to get there. But um, I've got a couple of obviously matter of theology shirts. I've got a man. My matter of theology hoodie is legit. Um, I love that thing. I can't wait for fall just so I can wear it. It's coming, bro. Um, yeah, but uh, so that's the thing. Just with uh, with it being on bonfire, it's made to order, yep. so it does take a little bit to get there. And as far as the Dead Guy Readers Society, we have two shirts. There's one that says mm-hmm. 
proud reader of the dead guys. And then there's another one that is hashtag dead guy reader society. That's right. That's right. You can get them in different colors and styles and stuff. That's right. That's right. So, and uh, yeah, so head on over there, check it out. Uh, Order your merch. When it comes in, uh, take a picture, Uh, tag us on the socials and uh, we will definitely share those as well. Uh, And we appreciate, we appreciate the support. Uh, of Matter of Theology, of Mana for Today, and of course, the Dead Guy Reader Society. Well, you already heard his voice, the man, the myth. He is a legend, Mr. Drew Vonita. That's What's right. happening, Captain? You know, um, I do stuff. I go places. I be where I am an hour <laughs> when I'm there. So uh, this is how it is. That is how it is, man. That is how it is. I love it. I love it. So we, uh, we're, we're glad to be back with you, and uh, we are super excited for this episode uh, of the Dead Guy Reader Society. Today, we're going to be uh, taking a look at a book and a Puritan who needs no introduction. Uh, if you've listened to Matter of Theology, uh, you're going to know uh, what, what I'm talking about here in a second. Uh, and if you love Christ, if you love the Lord your God, uh, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and 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 find the gospel of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ absolutely astonishing, uh, then uh, then you're going to be familiar with this guy. So um, uh, so what what we're going to do um, is we're gonna we're gonna give uh, we're, we're going to. Um, we're going to talk about this guy's life before we really dig into it. Um, And the reason I want to do that on, and I know we did this with Thomas Watson and a body of divinity. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. But um, in digging in and preparing for this episode and digging into the life of John Owen, uh, there were things about Owen's life that I was not aware of. Um, I already had immense respect for John Owen. Um, uh, I've, I've, read uh, a few of, of his works. I don't have the works like you do. Um, they're but sitting right over my I can see them. Yeah, they're right over Drew's There's head. There's all 16 <laughs> volumes right there in the and green, the and then the orange is yep. the Hebrews commentary. Yep. Um, so uh, let, me, let me just say that after studying this guy's life, um, it, it made me want to read more of him. And, and the reason I want to unpack this because, um, and, and then I want to challenge you, the listener to, as you're, as you're reading these works, these, these, whether it's a Puritan, whether it's, uh, I, I would consider R.C. Sproul a Puritan, um, you know, it doesn't matter what it, what it is like, read the biography of these, uh, of these, these men and, and, and their ministries and the things that they've experienced, because as our introduction shows there are some out there mark driscoll dollar general mark driscoll who you know have said that that you know uh, the, the dead guys can't argue with you and and you know they're just they were just sitting high and mighty in their castle in their puritan castle and writing these things and causing division and everything else but when you get into and dig into what the some of these men went through and experienced in their life um, it, it really does give you a, a, a more of a sense behind the works that you're reading and to know that these guys weren't just sitting up in a castle somewhere up on a throne, looking down at everyone. These were men that walked through the thick of a, of a fallen world, experienced the effects of sickness, disease, death, war, and, and everything in between and had this view of God that was so high. 
and, and a view of man that was proper biblical and so low that, that it was, it was that theology, the study of God through the scriptures that the Lord used to carry them through and then to work through them to give us those works that you have behind you or the, the work that we're going to talk about today. Mm. So with John Owen, uh, John Owen's been called the, the prince of the English divines, a genius with learning second only to Calvin's, and indisputably the leading proponent of high Calvinism in England in the late 17th century. In fact, at his funeral service on September 4th, 1683, David Clarkson said this about John Owen, quote, a pastor, a scholar, a divine of the first magnitude, holiness gave a divine luster to his other accomplishments. It shined in his whole course and was diffused through his whole conversation, period, close quote. Sinclair Ferguson said this about John Owen, quote, in his own time, he was England's greatest living theologian. Now, more than 300 years after his death, Many still regard him as such, period, end quote. The man, like I said, is John Owen. John Owen was, was, was born in, in Stadham, which is now Stadhampton, in the year 1616, which, by the way, I didn't know this, that was also the year of William Shakespeare's death. His father, this is crucial, his father was a Puritan vicar by the name of Henry Owen. Henry Owen was a pastor, a shepherd, and a theologian. He was a Puritan. It has been said of, of the Owens that they were, quote, a Puritan family. John Owen said this about his father. He said, quote, I was bred up from my infancy under the care of my own father, who was a nonconformist all his days and a painful, hardworking laborer in the vineyard of the Lord. Period. Close quote. Wow. So Henry raised John, his two brothers, and his sister in this way. And, and Henry and, and later John stood firm. They acted like men and held to biblical orthodoxy guidelines and an ecclesiology that was staunchly biblical. Now, brother, I want to pause here because I know you have some thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> John Owen was intentionally raised to be a Puritan. Yes. Now, think about that in terms of, let's say, our generation. Right. We don't raise our kids that way. We don't raise our kids so that they may strive to be as holy as possible mm. in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. Um, and so, it, it's just... It's one of those things that blows my mind, right? And especially when, when you start studying all the Puritans, right? right? And a good place, if you want to know, a good place to start would be the documentary Puritan, Puritan. Yeah. Um, by Media Gratier. <clears throat> it's a great place to start. Um, I think it will actually uh, fuel you to want mm -hmm. to learn more about Puritans. Mm -hmm. But their goal, their drive, right, was to apply the gospel in every aspect of their life. That's right. 
And so, and in, in, again, and when said, we say the gospel, we mean the, the whole of God's counsel. The whole, you're right. The That's whole right. of God's counsel. So that means how you live on a day-to-day basis. That's what the Puritans are doing. Everything mm-hmm. that they're doing, whether it's, whether it's in the church service, right? So, so, so churches is, is the, the Lord's day is a holy day, mm-hmm. but there's also times where Puritans have fun, right? They're, they're, they're not the, uh, what is it, the the bad rap that they get right the, mm-hmm. the the old saying like a puritan is just someone that's angry that someone's having fun somewhere or something like that's not <laughs> Puritan. right puritans love to have fun yeah. right the, yeah. they they engaged in sports and hunting and fishing and and all these yeah. that they enjoyed their life yeah. but they didn't enjoy it apart from god that's the difference right and so we today especially here in America, we try to separate the two. That's right. And and you may be like, well, no, I don't try to separate the two. Okay. Do you, would you rather on, on a Lord's day, go play a travel ball game or would you sacrifice that to bring your kids up under the teaching of the Lord? Pause for effect. Right. See, <laughs> you know, it's uh, that and that's how, how how I grew up. Right. I played baseball. Mm-hmm. I played travel baseball and every yeah. weekend was a different tournament. Yeah. You know, I wasn't so concerned. As I got older, my mom had that concern and I needed that I needed to be in church. Yeah. And so now looking back, I'm going, I don't know if I if I want my kids to play competitive the way that I did, because what does that do? That distracts from the, now I'm not saying you can't play and be, you know, devoted to the Lord and and things like that. But when that becomes your God, when that becomes your idol, you're moving away from God. But the Puritans, they sought to apply God in every single aspect. That's right. Living their life fully devoted to God. And then in terms of raising their kids, raising them up so that they may love the Lord right. and then live lives unto the Lord yep. as well. That was just yep. the Puritan way. Yep. Yep. And in our way is like, um, yeah, we go to church on Sunday. Um, we we sing songs. Like, what else do you want? Like sometimes we go right. to group, you know. Uh my my kid made a profession of faith at eight years old. And so he got baptized. And so he's good. I mean, he's off. I don't know where he's at right now, but he's off doing something, you know, like, but, but, you know, I know if he's going to heaven, you know, it's like, "Mm, have you trained your kids? Right. Have have you catechized your kid? Do do they even know what baptism means? You know, it's like, you know, things like that. That's the world we live in right now Mm -hmm. under American Christianity. But I guarantee you, man, I guarantee you when John Owen was probably eight years old, he could have probably told us, taught us what, what the scriptures meant. Well, I mean, he went to, at the age of 12, yeah. he, he entered Queens College in Oxford. He mm-hmm. studied math, philosophy, theology, Hebrew. Oh, mm-hmm. and who could, who could forget the rabbinical writings? Yeah. Think about that. 12 years old, mm-hmm. he enters college and starts studying at the college level math, philosophy, theology, Hebrew, rabbinical writings, and more. And and as well. So, so there's another Puritan famous commentaries, Matthew Henry. Yeah. I believe it was, he was at four, four or five years old reading through the Bible. Like not just, not just attempting to read the Bible as a four or five year, but reading through it and understanding why, because he was the same way. His Mm -hmm. parents raised him up to be the same way. Right. Right. 
right? So, so then it, in, at the age of 16, in 1632, John Owen graduates with a Bachelor of Arts degree. Uh, he then went on to get a Master in Arts degree at, in, at, in 1635 at the age of 19. And it's noted that while Owen was in his teen years, that he would spend upwards and listen to this. 18 to 20 hours a day in study. Five years later, at the age of 21, Owen, he, he left Oxford and, and he becomes a chaplain and a tutor. And, and it was during this time as a chaplain that John Owen, around the age of 26, began what would be a 41-year writing journey that brought over 80 works that continue to be used by God today. Now, Here's something to, to note here, and I, I didn't know this. This is where you know we start getting into things where I'm just like, wow. Um, John Owen struggled with a personal assurance of faith, like the that knowing that that you cannot lose your salvation, that assurance that you are Christ's and He is yours. He struggled with that until 1642 at the at the age of 26. Now the story of how the Lord. Um, gave him that assurance is just, I, I love it. It's fascinating. And it's, um, I, I just do. So check this out. In 1642, he uh, was directed to a church service at, uh, at St. Mary um, and Aldermanbury in London. He went in with the expectation of hearing Edmund, uh, Edmund Calamy. However, uh, Edmund wasn't there and an anonymous substitute preacher was filling in. Owen had a friend who urged him uh, to leave, to go, and I quote, hear a more famous minister, but Owen stayed. And it was through this preacher who, by the way, John never learned the identity of who this guy was, that God used to grant John Owen the personal assurance of faith he had been lacking. And he did so uh, by, by preaching Matthew 8, 26, why, why, are you, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. After Christ calms the storm, um, I, I love that story, man. Um, and I love the way that as as he wrestled with this. I mean, you think about it, he's been studying theology since probably before the age of twelve, and here he's twenty six years old wrestling with an assurance of faith, and it's through this anonymous, faithful preacher that God grants him that personal assurance that would never leave him, and in fact, he would end up writing about later in his life. Um. 1643, John Owen, uh, he published uh, a display of Arminianism. Um, and what he did is he exposited classic Calvinism by unpacking the doctrines of grace. Um, and it was this that led to Owen's name and reputation uh, to be spread far and wide. He was also excellent, you mentioned this a second ago, at catechizing those in his care. He, was, he actually wrote catechisms for kids and adults. Um, it was around this time he was living well, in Florida. What did I say last time? What what's that? Pastor, when we were talking about Thomas Watson, mm -hmm. right? The pastor needing to be able to preach to the whole congregation. Yes, sir. So, <clears throat> so not just the adults, but also the kids. Yep. And so some of you listeners, you might not know this fun fact about John Knox, the Scottish reformer, Scottish uh <clears throat> what he would do in his services is he would because they were all in one service, he would preach the service once to the adults. And then he would call all the children up front 
And then he would preach the same service to the children on their mm-hmm. level so that they could understand it. And now the parents have a teaching and understanding of how to teach those things to their children yeah. so they can go home and they can talk about the sermon. Awesome. Awesome. Um, while he was living in, in Fordham, uh, he accepted the call of pastor there. While he was there, he met Mary, Mary Rook. Uh, he, would, he would take her as his bride. They had 11 children. 11 kids. Now here, again, here's where you start reading these details and your heart sinks. And and it really does remind you again, that these, these men weren't sitting in ivory towers, but they were in the thick of it, working hard, dealing with the, the same struggles that everyone deals with in this life in a fallen world. Out of the 11 kids that he and Mary had together, only one would make it to adulthood. One. And then later she would die of consumption. So they had 11 kids, all of them died. That is just heartbreaking. Um, through the 1640s, uh, John's fame would spread because of his preaching, his writing. Uh, however, he was still, he was unsure of the true fruit of his labor. And it is so famously said, I think we talked about this last time too, uh, that Owen once stated that he would trade all his learning, all his learnings for John Bunyan's gift of plain preaching. To quote Dr. Joel Beakey, quote, clearly he underestimated his own gifts. And I agree with Dr. Beakey. Um, here's, here's something of note as well, um, and something that John Owen has in common with Thomas Watson and a whole host of other Puritan men. He was, he was tasked with preaching before parliament on multiple occasions. Uh, there was one sermon in particular that made him stand out when he preached Hebrews 1227, which Hebrews 1227 says, now this expression yet once more indicates the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken remain. It caught the attention of one Oliver Cromwell. This led Cromwell to convince John Owen to join him as a chaplain to Ireland to, uh, and listen, listen to this, this is awesome, to regulate the affairs of Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. So Owen and Cromwell traveled with upwards of 12,000 soldiers, and he ministered to these soldiers through some terrible battles, so much so that it shook him to the core. So when he returned to England, he strongly advised Parliament to show mercy and restraint with the Irish. Now, and listen to this, 1650, John Owen was appointed as an official preacher to the state. How awesome is that? Those responsibilities included preaching on Friday afternoons, uh, offering daily prayer meetings at the Council of State. And according to history, in the the 1650s were Owen's most productive years. In 1651, he became the Dean of Christ Church College, Oxford. 18 months later, he was appointed Vice Chancellor of Oxford University under Oliver Cromwell, And his responsibilities involved presiding over university meetings. Um, He was an administrator. And get this, listen to this, bro. And I I want to get your comments here. He, quote, restrained worldly students from excess. Can you imagine having John Owen in that role for you? (laughs) Restraining them from excess, the worldly students. The worldly students, those who didn't profess faith in Christ. So restraining them from... Like having the task of of overseeing them and and keeping them restrained, uh, excess worldly living, 
sinful okay. lifestyles, yeah. all of that. Yeah, that uh, that <laughs> today he would have been called a judgmental bigot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're just not winsome enough, when, is, or as Tom Buck would say, wimpsome. Yeah, you're not winsome. You got to nuance it a little bit there, John. Um, uh, he he today he would have been frowned upon. Uh huh. Yeah. You know? uh, yep. Absolutely, man. Well, when he lectured, it's it's again, it's uh, history. It's recorded that uh, he w- he promoted reform theology, Puritan piety. Um, those, and, and, and again, this is just part of the, um, the way, the way of life, then the, the, the constant devotion to the scriptures and the constant devotion to the local church. And, the, and because here's what he would have the undergrads do, uh, he would have the undergrads, they were tasked with the responsibility of repeating Sunday sermons to quote some person of known ability and piety. So they would have to go back and they would have to, they would have to repeat the Sunday sermon, what the topic was, what the text was, what the application was as undergrads. And and you think about what the ministry of the word of God, how the ministry of the word of God, how that works when you do that amongst the student body. It's it's the word of God constantly in the mind, on the lips, and in the heart, and how that affects living. Um craziness, man. It's amazing. Um so during this time, John Owen actually shared the pulpit uh, with Thomas Goodwin at St. Mary's, and the sermons that were preached there were the beginnings of later writings and works on mortification and temptation. Uh, John Owen was a, a strong, and he was a godly leader and manager, uh, and it was this strong and, and godly leadership that led to um, uh, peace, security, and spiritual growth to the university during the recovery of, of, of the civil wars that had just taken place. Um, and uh, so and, and against his own wishes, right. That there's also humility here against his own wishes. The university actually granted him a doctor of divinity degree. Um, and it was during this time, during this time at Oxford, during this time, preaching at St. Mary's with Goodwin, that Thomas, or that I almost said Thomas Watson, that John Owen uh, penned one of his most notable and reputable works. And what we're going to talk about today the mortification of sin. Um, now, Owen's career, uh, this is where things shift and change. And again, things weren't you know just rainbows and butterflies. His career took a turn when he openly opposed Oliver Cromwell with becoming king. Uh, Cromwell's son, Richard, replaced John Owen as vice chancellor. And, and then soon, Owen and Goodwin's afternoon sermons were done away with. And Oxford University has never been the same since. Never been the same since, and um, and as as we've discussed in passing, which which you know we need to dive more into um, uh, at some point on the Dead Guys Reader Society um, is the Great Ejection happened in 1662. However, that did not stop John Owen and a whole host of, of others from preaching regularly to fulfill the call that was placed in their bones by none other than none other than God Himself. The call to be a preacher and a pastor and a shepherd. And he kept preaching and he kept writing. It was during this time that John wrote in Dwelling Sin, an exposition of Psalm 130 and the first volume of his commentary on Hebrews that you have right behind you. 1673, 
Owen was 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 devoted to serving uh, uh, other independent pastors, uh, such as uh, Robert Asty and John Bunyan. And remember what 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 Owen said about Bunyan some twenty years earlier. And then now Owen is helping these men, and and counseling them and being there for them. <clears throat> In later years, he suffered from asthma, gallstones, um, and this kept him from preaching, but not from writing. And uh, John Owen stepped into glory in August of 1683 at the age of 67. So, brother, um, I know that was a little bit long. Thank you for bearing with me. And then everybody listening, thank you for, for bearing with me as well. I, I think it's important that we talk about these men in this way, that we that we understand what they walked through. Right. Um, so, episode two of the Dead Guys Reader Society, we're, we're going to focus on something we've discussed previously on Matter of Theology. However, there was a lot that we didn't get to go over a few years ago. So we're going to open we're going to open it back up and as as the battle against our own sin. The battle against indwelling sin is the most important battle all adopted children of God through the Lord Jesus Christ face. And we face it daily. There's no escaping it. It is life as a Christian. It was the great French reformer, John Calvin, who said this, quote, repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. So today we're going to be opening back up John Owen's magnificent work, The Mortification of Sin. And a few years ago, uh, this episode um, uh, you know, that we did with Josh, Josh Loftless. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a heavy topic, right? The mortification of sin is a heavy topic. And I'm going to link, uh, um, that episode in the show notes. That episode was just over an hour as what we ended up doing is we went through the, some of the things in the book and discussed sin. We discussed sin's roots, its symptoms. Josh had some great reminders in that episode. One of which is this, is that sin is a quote, worship disorder. Mm -hmm. Loved that. Um, Meaning that sin begins because of idolatry, which lines up with Paul's words in Colossians 3, 5. So our hope in this episode of the Dead Guys Reader Society is to go more, uh, go over more of the book as we talk about the duty of all professing believers, uh, the duty that we have, the duty um, is the, the the commissioning and the charge to go to all out war with our sin and flesh and to dispatch it with great haste. The topic of mortifying sin in your life is one that every professing Christian should be intimately familiar with. However, that's not the case in the majority of quote unquote churches in the Western hemisphere. Because of the effects of pride and idolatry and self-love and the charismatic movement and easy believism, pragmatism, sentimentalism, the seeker-friendly movement, a denial of the sufficiency of scripture, and ultimately a lack of fearing God, this is not a topic you hear discussed in the majority of churches today. In fact, I would say that in some churches, whether it's the pulpit or the small group, sin is never discussed. It's never confessed. It's never addressed. And because of this, the wondrous beauty of the gospel, the truly good news of the gospel of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ cannot be fully grasped. A partial gospel, brothers and sisters, is not the gospel. A partial gospel leads to partial or false conversions. Partial and false conversions are those people who have believed on Christ's love 
and or his grace, but not actually on Christ. And they will hear the words, those fateful words found in Matthew 7, away from me. I never knew you. Those who practice lawlessness. There are churches right now, easily within driving distance of my home, who are more interested in expositing movies than scripture. They're more interested in doing a series on God's game book, quote unquote, for your life and gathering on the Lord's day, wearing sports jerseys as if sports in the South wasn't already enough of an idol, than opening up the word of God and doing the work and dealing with and killing the sin in their lives. There are many churches planning revival services and events in an attempt to stir something up on their own. However, they never illuminate for those who would hear the utter disparity of their condition because of their depravity. Sin is an affront to the very nature and holiness of God. And the majority of us have forgotten that. If you want to grasp the weight of your sin, the dark and grotesque nature of your heart and state apart from Christ, stop right now and read sinners in the hands of an angry God. We don't stop and think about this enough. Or if we do stop and think about it, we make too many mistakes when it comes to mortifying our sin. And that's where John Owen actually starts in here. So brother, thank you for the time. I know that was long, but I felt it was necessary before we really dive in. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to throw out that uh, John Owen was a part of, uh, of writing was the Savoy Declaration or the mm. Savoy Conve- Confession. Um, he and Thomas Goodwin were both a part of that. And basically what you had is you had the Westminster that was penned in Westminster Confession of Faith that was penned in 1646. 1658, you had the Savoy Declaration, which was basically the Westminster, but with some things changed for congregational churches because the Westminster is a Presbyterian document, Congregationalists, or what would become the Baptists. Um, they didn't have a confession. And so it really laid the groundwork for what would become the 1689 second London Baptist confession of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, So John Owen had a, had a big hand in that, but man, let's, uh, let's get into this work of the mortification of sin. And I think I kind of want to start. I want to start on page three. And by the way, uh, we are using the Puritan paperback version yeah. of the mortification of sin. It's an abridged version. Um, unlike the unabridged version that sits on the shelf behind me, um, this one is a lot easier to read and follow. But I think a, a good place to start is with how John Owen defines what it means to mortify. Mm-hmm. And so on page three in point three, he says to mortify means to put any living thing to death. Mm. To kill a man or any other living thing is to take away the principle of all its strength, vigor, and power so that it cannot act or exert or put forth any proper actings of its own. So Mm. he's taking that term to mortify, and he's saying we must apply that to our sin because our sin is living and active within us. And That's so right. we must put it to death. Yeah. And so just to, just to clarify from the outset, what, what John Owen means when he says 
to mortify sin. And so now just to back up one page to to, to the first page, um, this is really an exposition of Romans 8.13. That's right. And that's where he starts off. The, in, the introduction is in, and proceeding forth from there is an exposition of Romans 8, 8.13, which says, yep. if by the spirit you put uh, death, you put to death the deeds of the body, yep. you will live. And then from there, right on the first page, man, he does what we do, right? Yep. Yep. Take, taking it, breaking it down and saying, yep. who is this directed to the, the condition, the means of accomplishment, a yep. duty and a promise. Yep. Right. And then he just lists those things out. And uh, <clears throat> man, is it, it just in this, this introduction alone mm-hmm. is packed full of stuff because, oh, because not only does he says to say to mortify sin, but he says the only means that you have, the only way you can mortify sin, and this is often overlooked by us, is by the power of the Spirit, which is that's right, which is that's what right. Paul is talking about in eight thirteen. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and so he even says that <clears throat> if you look at point uh, point three towards the the end of the paragraph, right before point four, he says mortification from a self strength carried on by ways of self uh invention to the end of a self righteousness mm-hmm. is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world so when we seek to try to do something on our own we think we're strong enough that mm-hmm. we can do it on our own or we try to invent ways for us to do it on our own the end of that is just a, a self righteousness i'm proud of myself and yep. then what is that that is really the bedrock it's still idolatry. Other, yeah, it's idolatry because it's worship of self. Yep. It's yep. look what I did. No, yep. no, no, no. John saying, no, no, no. Only by the power of the spirit mm-hmm. can you actually put these things to death. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of that, brother, it's it's funny. That's on page three. And then in chapter three, he gets into the work of the spirit in mortification. Yep. And he opens that chapter by saying this, quote, the Holy Spirit is our only is our only sufficiency for the work of mortification. All ways and means apart from him have no true effect. He is the great power behind it, and he works in us as he pleases. Very close quote. And then he gets into these vain methods of uh, of, of mortification. And um, and then I, I I wrote this in the margin. Um, in the uh, in the second paragraph after that section, the vain methods of mortification, I wrote uh, for the first sentence, uh, may may it not be, may I not be, and then the second sentence is church today. So listen to this quote: Many who have more light and knowledge of the gospel also insist on and prescribe the same false teachings about mortification. They have their outside endeavors, bodily exercises, self-performances, and mere legal duties without the least mention of Christ or his spirit. Is that not church today in the Western hemisphere? You know, it's all about what you're doing, your best life, how to improve upon what you're doing and, and without, without, without the a mention of Christ, his spirit, sin, the need for repentance and mortification. Right. Well, I mean, even, and he gives a list of things to do mm-hmm. and there are things that we would look at and we would say, okay, those are good things for the act of putting to death sin. Mm-hmm. The problem is like, 
you're you're talking about today in today's world. Yep. They would say do these things, right? Yep. Yep. But but it's basically an exploitation of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is no mention of actually putting to death sin. It's like right. Oh, fasting. Yeah. Well, fast because you just become closer to God. And then, you know, prayer, we all need to pray more, you know? And it's like, when you pray more, it soothes your spirit. It soothes your soul. It puts you at rest, right? It realigns you. I can't tell you how many Christians really sound like new age priests, you know? well, I agree with I agree with them. It's 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 still the basis of false religion right. because who's still at the center? Mm-hmm. You are, right? Not yeah. God, not His Word. You you, you know that with that kind of approach, there there's not a high view of God and a low view of man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So he talks about using. The, the, there are there are things that have their place, right? Praying, fasting, meditation. Right. Right. But a lot of times they're just works that are come to. And, and and he describes them as a fountain and not mm-hmm. the stream coming from the fountain. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that springs up, mm-hmm. but it's not something that's a continual flow mm-hmm. through us that will that, that will actually do any work. It, right. And really we could say sometimes we could say these things are just things for show. Or they're things to bra- right, you know, just just like look at that Bro. fountain right there. And look at how pretty it is. Hey, look at my prayer time, bro. Dude, hey, you know what? Man, I've been fasting for two days. Imagine how close I am with the Lord now. Don't we do that with social media? Oh yeah. yeah. Look at me. You know, here's my here's my devotion time. Here's my right. my coffee and Bible time. And and look, if I'm not knocking it, if you're spending time with the Lord and and you are you are seeking to learn more about him his character uh, you're seeking to grow in sanctification as the holy spirit uses the word of god to grow you more and more into the image of christ fantastic mm-hmm. fantastic but make sure that your outwardly showing of that is is just a mere overflow of what god is doing on the inside right yeah yeah that's right because otherwise it's it's just a vain work like he's talking about here yep yep it's just a vain work hey look at me Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yep. Yes, sir. So he he unpacks um how um how the Holy Spirit accomplishes, how does the, the, the Holy Spirit uh mortify uh sin in our lives? And um he he walks through the uh, everything he does. Um and that there were a couple of things that I um, I, I marked here, and and this was one quote um, that is just one that, that believers should commit to memory. Owen says, "quote He brings the cross of Christ, the He being the Holy Spirit." And remember, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to eg- to elevate, magnify, and apply what Christ has done. He brings the cross of Christ into the heart of a sinner by faith, and gives communion with Christ in His death. And fellowship in his sufferings. Fantastic reminder. And then he gets into the work of the spirit and our responsibility as well. Um, and, and the growth and the sanctification that we experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's a, <clears throat> I want to back up real quick. Go for it. Because you just read point three. I yeah. want to back up to, to point two. Yeah. And so I made a note out beside this. Fruit sins versus root sins. Okay. Oh. Um, 
Now that's not now that doesn't say that in the passage, but in my mind, I'm going fruit sins and root sins because this is what Owen says. Yeah. By the effective destruction of the root and habit of sin to weaken, destroy, and take it away. He is called a spirit of judgment and of uh and of burning. So it's still talking about how the spirit does these things. Mm-hmm. And so by destroying the root. Now um, a lot of times we like to deal with our fruit sins, meaning the things that are just done outside, those things that maybe people can see that maybe paint us in a bad light, the things that we know are wrong. And we, and we, we deal with those, we deal with the, the fruit sins, but we haven't dealt with the root because if we don't deal with the root, it's just going to spring up again. Well, if we if we wait to deal with sin until there is fruit, it's too late. Mm-hmm. If we if we wait to deal with sin as the th- think about like a flower, right? Mm-hmm. Flower or plant. Um, I don't know what these plants are that we have in our front yard, but they 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 sprout these yellow flowers that that start here and then and then and then they bloom. They expand out. If we wait to deal with sin, not even when it's fully bloomed, but when it's sprouting, it's too late. Mm. You have to, and, 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 and you have to go to war. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself thinking wise, and <laughs> that's what you're hearing. We have to go to war at the root level. Mm. We have to, and this is why I said in, in, in the introduction, we have to dispatch it with great haste. There's a reason that John Owen uses the language that he does in here as far as going to war. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he gathers that from scripture, but remember his experience, right? Those 12,000 soldiers that he traveled with, um, what he experienced, uh, he saw war. He saw the brutality of it. He saw um, uh, everything that's involved there. And so he uses this, this militaristic language when it comes to how we approach our sin. And if we if we're waiting to pray, if we're waiting to seek scripture, accountability, all the practical things that we need to do to fight sin until the temptation arises, even to commit the sin, it's too late. It's too late. It has to be dealt with at the heart and the thought level. And that's, that, that, that's kind of what you're, what you're getting at and kind of what, what he's getting at too. Yeah. And he gets, he gets into that later in the book Yeah, because he also talks about how once you have committed to performing the sinful act, right? Once it once it takes hold in your mind, mm-hmm. it's already been successful. That's right. Because now you're plotting out how to do it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. He uh, he gets into something interesting in chapter four, um, and he says uh, right right here at the beginning, he says, "As we walk with our God, we desire greatly His strength, comfort, power, and peace." The realization of these and thus the joy of our spiritual life depends greatly upon the mortification of sin. So here's a fantastic question to ask yourself. Are you lacking peace in your life? If you profess faith in Christ and if you're lacking peace in your life, a a great question and, and, and a great opportunity to take inventory in and through your life is, is there unrepentant, unconfessed, unconfessed, unrepentant, and not mortified sin in your life. Because if there is that right there, one of the results of not mortifying the sin in your life 
is the the lack of that peace mm. that you experience. Yeah. 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 And that's uh man, when uh <clears throat> you know what? Let me get my Bible. Get it, bro. Um, what did I preach on? I think it was Psalm 38. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the sermon I'm thinking of. I, yeah. When I, when I talked about the burden of sin. Yep. It was Psalm 38. Um, there's a verse in here. Charles, let's see. Uh, for me. Um, like a deaf man. Like... You're hearing this in real time, folks. That's okay, man. That's good. Man, I confess my iniquity. Okay, here, right here. At the towards the end of verse 18, right? Okay, so so eight Psalm 38, 18b. I am full of anxiety mm-hmm. because of my sin. That's right. And so just like what you were talking about. Are you do, do you not have peace? Are you restless? Here's mm-hmm. here's the thing. Are you depressed? Yeah. I was years ago. Um, I was talking to a guy that was a boss of mine, just sitting in his office. And he was just, he just, we just started talking about the Bible and things like that. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that people who are depressed have unresolved sin issues and it's really taking them over. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and I started thinking about that and I started going, you know what? He's right. I think there may be some validity to that, right? I mean, and then you might even, be onto something here. <laughs> might be onto something. And then here, Psalm 38, the author says, uh, David here, he says, I am full of anxiety mm-hmm. because of my sin. It mm-hmm. sets me on edge. I can't, I, I have no peace. There's just what's you know, I'm always looking over my shoulder. What's gonna happen now? What there is no peace. So the the mortification of sin, and we can really go through this whole psalm and go, uh, this is what sin does, right? It, right. it really brings David to a place of agony, mm-hmm. physical pain. Mm-hmm. So not only, so now let's ask the question you asked, do you not have peace? Let me ask the question, are you in physical agony because yeah. of your sin? Yeah. Does yeah. your sin cause you physical agony to where you are bowled over? Yeah. Like David is. My bones were crushed burden. within me, he said uh, in another psalm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he said, right, uh, for my iniquities are gone over my head. Mm. As a burden, they weigh uh, too much for me. My wounds, here, my wounds, because of my sin, my wounds mm. grow foul and they fester. Yeah. That's yep. what sin does to you. Yep. Yeah. And yep. that's why we must mortify Absolutely, man. That's good, brother. That's good. Well, something else along those lines too. Um, he he gets into. He says. Uh, he said, "Sins sin breaks out and actually hinders duty. The ambitious man must be studying. The worldling must be working and contriving. And the sensual, vain person providing vanity for himself mm. when they should be engaged in the worship of God." Yeah. There it is. There's that worship issue. There you go, man. There you go. So is there, are there things that you are working towards? Are there, are there, are there things that you have placed, you've put in place above the daily, minutely with every thought, word, and deed, the worship of God? 
Right. I mean, just, and just even in, you know, day-to-day life sitting at home, right? Yeah. Are, are you more concerned with watching the voice and the masked singer than you are, you know, uh, <laughs> I can't stand stu- show. studying the word, you know, no, no, no. Here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Roll with me on this. <clears throat> Let's just take a little trip. Okay. Thought experiment. <laughs> you have professing Christians. Okay. Uh-huh. They talk about how they disagree with homosexuality right. and the transgender movement yep. and all this stuff. Yep. They don't study their Bible. No. But in their free time, they watch shows where the contestants are homosexual and transgender, and they're on networks that promote the LGBTQ plus movement. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I think you support the LGBTQ plus movement. If you would rather watch that and be entertained by, by that, mm-hmm. then dig into the word. Uh, well, I think we said this last time where we live in a day and age where people would rather be entertained. Mm-hmm. They'd rather have their flesh entertained mm-hmm. um, than, than than sitting down and studying scripture to to get to know who God is, mm-hmm. what He's called them to, what He's preparing them for, and how they should uh, approach and navigate life in a fallen world. Right. Um, now. Granted, it's easier from a flesh standpoint to sit and binge watch the terminal list or, mm-hmm. you know, or watch the mask singer. That's right. You know what? Just, just take one night, watch all of them at once. You don't have to do it again. There you go. <laughs> right. You got the rest <laughs> of the week. Okay. Yeah. I just well, gave you an excuse. Oh, brother. You know, I mean, like, but it, and it's happened to all of us, both <laughs> of us included. Right. I mean, how many times have, have, have you had, okay. I mean, granted with kids and a family, it's, it's a little bit less. But, but, but so what, when was the last time you said, you know, okay, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to spend time with my wife and my son when I get done with work. So what I'm going to do to make sure, cause I, I, I have to have my, my t- the time and the word I want to worship God. I want that to be for, first priority in my life. That's my desire, but you know, I'm not willing to wake up an hour earlier. Mm. I'm not willing to, uh, to, to let go of something else. Um, that, that's easy that feeds the flesh in order to to feed the spirit and to grow in sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier for us to do that, right? It's it's you sit down and try to. Paul Washer said this in, in a sermon he preached after G three, after the twenty twenty one G three national conference, the Lord's Day after that at Praise Mill. He said it's it's so much easier to sit down and do that because our flesh fights against sitting down and praying and meditating and focusing mm-hmm. on on the things of God because it wars with our flesh. Mm-hmm. But that's a good thing. That's what it's supposed to do. You're supposed, look, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been called and commanded, I said it earlier, to go to war with our sin, to mm-hmm. go to war with our flesh. We that There are spiritual battles that we are fighting and we don't fight with the weapons of the world, but with the weapon given, the only offensive weapon that you see in the scriptures, that being the word of God. Mm-hmm. So it's good to feel that tension. Pastors and preachers, it's good to get up there and teach through expositionally, expositionally, systematically through scripture 
And, and especially if you're not preaching Christ, if you're not preaching repentance, if you're not preaching mortification, every single sermon, mm-hmm. then what are you doing? Right. It's you want people to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. in that way. You want them to feel, listen to this. You want them to feel discriminated against because of their sin. Mm-hmm. That's what scripture does to us. Right. And as we battle, as we mortify, and this is what Owen gets into, it, 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 is, it is a painful thing that we go through. And that, that's one of the reasons that so many, so many don't mortify correctly or don't do it at all. Right. Well, one of the excuses they say, and, and we've all done it, is, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. We'll just do it tomorrow. I guarantee you tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> you know, what? I, you know what? I got, I'm just so tired right now. I'll just, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, <clears throat> If you keep pushing everything off till tomorrow, all you have is bunch a bunch of empty yesterdays. That's all you have. Boom, man. There you go. There you go. Um so uh just bro, we could we could we could sit and talk <laughs> for a while. We'll keep going with the book. Um uh what mortification is not is the next chapter it gets into. And now um, that's a that's a good one. Yeah because People think they're doing it and they're not. Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just do this. Okay. Yeah. But that's not it. <laughs> that's not well. And look at the first one, bro. What, what, look at the first one to mortify a sin is not to utterly root it out and destroy it, that it should have no more hold at all, nor residence in our hearts. It is true that this is what we aim at, but we will not be able to accomplish it in this life. All who seek mortification seek the utter destruction, both of its fruit and its root in the heart and life. They seek to kill it so that it will never move nor stir anymore, nor cry, call, seduce, or tempt to all eternity. We aim at the total destruction of sin so that it does not exist. Bro. I mean, it's, it's, we're not like Paul said, you know, not, not that I've arrived, right? right? Not that I have obtained, but the one thing I do is press on, right? Reach out, press on strain with all you have when it comes to the, the utter destruction. I love the way he says that the utter destruction of the root and the fruit of sin in your life. Yeah. And we can't expect it in this life. Right. And if we, if we see, and here's the problem, and here's why he said, this is not mortification, because if we expect to do that in this life, it's, uh, it's going to be an unmet expectation because we won't attain it. That doesn't mean we don't aim for it, right? But we will never attain it in this life. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah. Cool. Um, (laughs) bro, bro. It's number two. Mortification is not just changing. Uh, the changing of some outward aspects of sin, mm-hmm. bro. That's uh, how often do we do that? All the time. All the time. <laughs> we, we always seek to to change something in order to justify it, in order to say it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. Okay. Or how I hear you- what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but it's not that bad. I got control thing? over it. You know. Right. <laughs> no, no, you don't. It has control over you. Um, 
and then this sentence under number two, mortification is not just the substitution of one sin for another. Mm-hmm. And that can be that can be something, think about this, right? It can be something good, right? It, it can be mm-hmm. exchanging a sin for something good, but then that that one good thing ends up becoming an idol. So then it's back to being sin again. So, right. Right. so, you, so you haven't abolished anything. You, mm-hmm. you haven't sought to actually destroy anything. All you've done is really just exchange one for the other. That That is how simple that it could be. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And when he, and he, um, he gets into that a little further after he gets into the fourth one there where he says a sin is not mortified when it's only diverted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and towards the end of that section, he says, uh, one may leave one lust so that he may serve another. He that changes pride for worldliness or sensuality for legalism does damage to himself and others. Let him not think that he has mortified the sin that he seems to have left. He has changed his master, but mm-hmm. is a servant still. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And we do that all the time. We yeah, do yeah. We do all the time. Oh my gosh. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right here. This one, this guy. Uh, <laughs> So he continues to to unpack a few more. I don't want to give everything away. I want you guys to go read it. Um, so, but then uh, he gets into what mortification is, chapter six. Um, and uh, man, uh, it's he he starts out by talking about that it's a it's a habitual weakening uh, of the lust, mm-hmm. habitual all the time. Um all the time. And, um, he, he, he just, uh, he unpacks that. And then he gets into the important distinctions about the, the nature of lust. And, and one of the things that I've highlighted here and underlined <laughs> says, uh, the strength of the lust darkens the mind so that the knowledge that once might have resisted exerts no power over the will so that the lust finds freedom to express itself. Mm-hmm man, like you've got, like we as believers, like we have to understand that from birth, before that, from conception, this has been our nature. It mm-hmm. comes so easily to us. Right. In our, If you age, don't think so, have a two-year-old, okay? I was just about to say that. Like you don't <laughs> have to, I don't have to teach my six-year-old how to lie. Right. I don't have to teach him how to, to throw a temper tantrum when he doesn't get, I don't have to teach that. He doesn't see that. Like he just does it. Why? Because he's a sinner. That, that, that's who he is. That's who we are apart from Christ. I said it at the beginning, our, our dark and grotesque nature. It's, it's naturally who we are. We are by nature, children of wrath. We are by nature, sons of disobedience. So unchecked, we have a new nature in Christ, but we still war with the flesh. So unchecked, it's so easy. Yeah. It darkens the heart. It, I, I like the way he says it. The strength of lust darkens the mind. Mm-hmm. It makes you stupid. In other words, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think my little two-year-old. Okay, mm-hmm. I think if I, I, I need to start curbing this now, right? I need to start start hitting them with with some scripture now, because otherwise, I think he's going to grow up to be, you know, a thief. Let me tell you yeah. what. Okay. <clears throat> I run out to the store, right? Mm-hmm. Run to the store just to get a couple things. I get myself a drink and a bag of Cheetos. 
I walk in the door. This joker just runs up, snatches my Cheetos. Cheeto thief. I was like, what in the world, dude? He just stole them from me. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything because I was really just in shock. Like, what in the world just happened? Mm. So that joker owes me a bag of Cheetos. He does, man. He does. A little punk. <laughs> um, yeah, we, I mean, we've got to, yeah, we, we, we've got to, to battle and, and, and mortify sin according to scripture. And, and we have to know, we have to know our enemy and he gets into that. And, and, you know, when it comes to, again, when it comes to, to war, when it comes to f- battles, like battles that you see that take place, you have to study and know your enemy um, in, in order to defeat him. And so if you're not real and honest about who that enemy is and, and, and what it's capable of, if you don't dispatch it with, with much haste, then it will arise again. Um, right. And he, he, he kind of, he gets into that. So uh, he, he talks about it's a, it's mortification is a constant fight. It's a constant fight and, uh, and uh, contention against sin. It never ends. Mm-hmm. It never ends. Um, so it's always, it's always going to be our enemy always. Um, on this side of heaven, it's always going to be our enemy. And he says there in, in, a, in a subsection under here on page 37, he says, we need to continue to attack our lusts daily with the spiritual weapons that are most detrimental to it. This is the key to the warfare. Even when we think that a lust is dead because it is quiet, we must labor to give it new wounds and new blows every day. Yep. Yep. Mm. Right, it may um, be quiet, right? But yeah. that doesn't mean it's not active. It's it's not stirring something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, man. That's right. Uh, chapter seven deals with only the fact that believers can mortify sin, and we kind of talked about that when we talked about it. It's it's the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, that does that in us, and and it's it's our duty, um, and it's His duty. It's one of His duties as far as the sanctification and and conforming us more and more into the to the image. Uh, of, of, of Christ. And, and we have to remember that mortification apart from conversion is not possible. Right. That is just moralism and uh, it does not save. It's a false religion. And I hear that. Oh my goodness. I hear that all the time. Not the idea of repenting of sin and, or seeking to uh, <clears throat> mortify it, but mm-hmm. just do better. <laughs> right. Just make the right choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what does that mean exactly? Right. You know? <laughs> what choice? And why should I make that? I don't understand. Like, and these are these are preachers that are saying this. Right. That and so all their teaching is moralism. Mm-hmm. And and <clears throat> I I I don't know. I don't know how you can read the Bible and go, I can't talk about sin. You know, yeah, man. I, yeah, I can't tell people to to repent of their sin and put or put their sin to death. You know, but I'll just tell them to to make a better decision. Well, and that goes, man. That, that speaks to something he says in here. He says mortification is not the present duty of unregenerate men. God calls them to conversion first. He yep. calls them to the conversion of their whole soul, not just the mortification of this or that particular lust. Yeah, yeah, that's you, right. Yeah, you you can't. All and, and he says this here. He says all attempts to, uh, at mortification without a, a true interest in Christ are in vain. Mm-hmm. It's right. it's moralism. It's it's false religion, and it's it's the the root of it is idolatry and self love. 
Mm-hmm. It's trying to, if, if you have an unbeliever apart from conversion, trying to mortify their sin, it's because they're trying to relieve the guilt that they feel on their conscience right. w- without dealing with the root cause. And that's the fact that they have a dead stony heart that needs to yeah. be replaced. Yeah. That's why they keep going up to the altar. Too soon, maybe? Nope. Nope. <laughs> oh. Go listen to our episode on the altar call. Um. <laughs> but, but no, that's what, what that gets at is, is um, how many people in your church are false converts because they just feel a sense of guilt, mm-hmm. but they, because they're not converted, they have no desire to actually mortify it because to, in or, because to mortify it would mean to honor Christ. Right. And then they have preachers and pastors getting up there and telling them, telling them and, and trying to, uh, to bring this false peace that they don't actually have. Mm-hmm. And so they think they're good. Right. They think they're in a good place. And this is nothing more than a farce. It's a, uh, Owen would call it a delusion. I think he says that in a couple pages, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said a person uh, is ready to conclude that his uh, that his state and condition are good. This is a delusion. When a man's conscience is made sick with sin and can find no rest, he needs to go to the great physician of souls to get healing in his blood. How many souls are thus deceived right on into eternity? Yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Um, so, uh, so he gets into the next chapter. God requires universal obedience, right? That it's not, he says, you cannot mortify a specific lust that is troubling you unless you're seeking to obey the Lord from the heart in all areas. Right. All there means all, all. areas. All. Um, and he, uh, he goes on to say uh, on the next page, we must not be concerned only with that which troubles us, but also with all that troubles God. Mm-hmm. God's work is to have full victory and universal obedience, not just the victory over the sins, which trouble our soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and with that, oh. you know, that, that takes me back to, to Psalm 38 where we need, where David in there and we need to do likewise recognizes that his sin is an offense to God. Mm-hmm. So, so he observes his sin, but, for what it is an offense to God. Yep. First and foremost, it is an offense to God Mm -hmm. and people, because sin is so diluted nowadays in Mm -hmm. churches, Mm -hmm. people just view it as a mistake that they can just say, I'm sorry for. They don't understand that it is an egregious, odorous offense Mm. to God. That's right. It's it, it. And I love what Josh says uh, in another episode that we did. I know exactly um, where you're going. Where, where he talks about how we sin and then we look back at Jesus at the cross and say, it's okay. He died for it. Mm-hmm. No, he says that in the mortification one too. Oh, does he? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, and that, that gets into seeing sin for what it is, right? Um, a few chapters over, we talked about the symptoms the last time. Right. Yeah. Chapter 10, seeing sin for what it is, consider the the the, the guilt of it. And, and I want to get into that here in a, a, another chapter, but consider the, the the guilt of it, the danger of it. Consider that it's a it, it is it is cosmic treason um uh, against a holy God. And 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 remember, 
um, and be thankful for that, that God doesn't utterly just cast you off and cast you out for the abomination. These are Owen's words that lies in your hearts. Yet, if you are in Christ, he will visit you with the rod. Even though he will pardon and forgive, he will take vengeance upon your sinful designs. Mm-hmm. Well, like, that's, I mean, Paul Washer talks about that. Oh yeah, man. If I'm not getting disciplined by the Lord, am I sure I'm his, his kid? Absolutely, man. Am I his child? Why? Because like a good father, the right. Lord disciplines his children. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's a, uh, I mean, it, it, it grieves the spirit. It, uh, it, it, Owen gets into it. It, it uh, it wounds, it's wounded. Uh, Christ is wounded afresh by it. Um, and it, and then it takes away man's usefulness, right? The, the effects of sin, this gets into what kind of what we talked about earlier, but, um, man, like it, it, it will take away a man's usefulness in his generation, his works, his endeavors, his labors will seldom receive blessings from God, man. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's visible. Mm-hmm. You can, you can see it. Um, so, um, flipping over to, uh, chapter 11. And this is, man, this is where I wanted to camp out for, for a little bit, just because you don't hear this today. You don't hear this today. And this is a chapter 11 is titled a tender conscience and a watchful heart. And he says that change your conscience with the guilt of indwelling sin. And listen to what he says here. He said, first, let us consider indwelling sin in relation to the law of God. Allow the guilt displayed in the holy law to speak to your conscience. Lay your particular corruption next to the law and let it press, let its pressure weigh heavily on your conscience. Consider the law in its holiness, spirituality, severity, and see if you can stand before it in your corruption. Mm-hmm. Allow the terror of the Lord as displayed in the law to affect, affect you greatly. Bro, when was the last time you heard someone say that? I can honestly say I've listened to a lot of sermons. Mm. I've never heard it put like this. Yeah. I've never heard it either. I've never heard it put like this. Yeah. Um, when I read this book the first time a few years ago, like I, I read the whole thing, I. But I stopped here this time. And and I did that. I actually <laughs> wrote out, asked the Lord to convict me of sin, and wrote out what my sins were, and found in Scripture, the law and how it contradicts the law, and mm. sat with that. Yeah. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, John Owen is absolutely right here. Let that guilt and that heavy conscience, why it's not a condemnation because of the completed works of Christ, because of the assurance that we have in Christ, but let your conscience feel the weight of that and let that fuel, let that push your desire to hack your sin to pieces. You know, it reminds me of something Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, uh, the law is for the proud. The gospel is for the brokenhearted. Mm. This really kind of gets at that a little bit um, because the law for the proud man 
breaks us down under the weight of the holiness of God. Right. That's it right. breaks us down. But then what does the gospel do? It mends us up, mends us up in the assurance of who Christ is and what Christ has done on our behalf. Mm. Right. So, so, so the law is for the proud because it breaks me down. Mm-hmm. And then the gospel is for the brokenhearted. It mends my heart back together in Christ. That's right. That's right. That's right, man. Well, and, and, and Owen gets into that, you know, he, he, he talks about how the law, uh, the law was commissioned by God to judge sin wherever it finds it to bring, uh, to bring it before his throne. And, um, and then he, the next page, he, on page uh, 78, he says, the purpose of the law is to discover sin and the guilt of it. It should awaken and humble the soul and reveal sin in all its horrible colors. If you are unwilling to deal with it on this account, this is an indication of a hard heart under the deceitfulness of sin. This is a door that many professing believers have entered, which has led them into open apostasy. Mm-hmm. Can I get an amen? Somebody. Bro, bro. That was so nice. You got to say it. Twice, <laughs> bro. bro, do that. I need some Hammond B on that, bro. I need some Hammond B. <clears throat> I love you. The purpose, I'll do it again. The purpose of the law is to discover sin and the guilt of it. It should awaken and humble the soul and reveal sin in all its horrible colors. If you are unwilling to deal with it on this account, this is an indication of a hard heart under the deceitfulness of sin. This is a door that many professing believers have entered, which has led them into open apostasy. Mm -hmm. I mean... Brother, it, the, when you read stuff like this and then you dive into the scriptures that, that Owen references mm-hmm. and you sit with it and then you you examine, number one, first and foremost, the state of your own heart. It's convicting. It is. But then also you look at the fruit of what you see around us in the professing evangelical church and you go, the road is narrow. Mm-hmm. The road is very narrow. And then to your point, uh, you know, he gets into, I, <laughs> I'll show you, I underlined and highlighted this entire section on these pages, but I won't read the whole thing. I don't think, but listen to this. And this goes right with what you were just saying. Bring your lust to the gospel, not for relief, but for further conviction of your guilt. Look on him whom you have pierced and let it trouble you. Say to your soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? And then he moves down into this next section at the on the bottom of page 79. We should love and consider all the benefits we have under the gospel as we cherish our redemption, justification, and the like. Certainly this will aggravate the guilt of the corruption of our hearts. We compare our sin with the law. We do. We, we compare our sin with the gospel. And we, we do. We feel the weight of that. But then we rest in and we walk, actively walk in and seek to put to death the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. Bro, yeah. that, this, this chapter right here, this time reading through it, this is the chapter I spent the most time in. This is the chapter that brought me to tears. And, and, and the Lord used through the word, through this book and, and, and convicting me 
um, down to the thought level of some things I was struggling with. It's good, man. It's good, man. It's good. Um, so kind of pushing through, um, he, he talks about humility in chapter 12. It's not practiced today. We, you know, he says, we see, we need to be exercised with such meditations as will fill us at all times with the self-abasement and thoughts of our own vileness. And he says, meditate upon the excellence and the majesty of God in our infinite, inconceivable distance from him. And yeah. apart from Christ, that's the truth, man. Like yeah. Yeah. man thinks very high of themselves today, especially well, in the church. Go well, ahead. I mean, man just has a, has a wrong view of humility in general. Oh, absolutely. Because, because humility, biblical humility is really what, what Owen's getting at here is it's viewing yourself in light of who God is. That's right. Right. Um, viewing my sin in light of a holy God, but realizing that I can't do anything about it on my own power. That's right. So I must go to Christ. Mm-hmm. So biblical humility is always the elevation of Christ. That's amen. Oof. Yeah. And what we see people attributing humility to today is, well, you just need to have a softer tone. You just can't talk to people like that. I'll call the tone police on you. You need to be winsome. Okay. Um, you, you know, you're just not humble enough. Like you, you talked about sin. Okay. You can't talk about sin because people in here have sinned and they may get offended. I was just about to say that may offend them. <laughs> it may offend them. And that's just, that's just, that's not humble when you actually say what the Bible says, you know, you got to get away from that. You know, I mean, that's what's viewed as humble today, Mm -hmm. you know, elevating man and their feelings above the word of God and what God says you must do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, And I like the way you said that, you know, think of yourselves in in comparison to to God and Christ. Mm -hmm. Owen says, think often of the greatness of God. Seek to keep your heart in a continual awe of the majesty of God. Mm Well, we, who does that today? No one. Nope. Well, I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say no one. Cause I mean, there are the MacArthur's and yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> I, well, n- no one is going to do that perfectly. Right. No one's right? going to do that. Perfectly. No, but at no. the same time, the vast majority of people who don the church, the, the doors of the church, most of the time, their most of their life, probably they're not, thinking of god they're not turning their thought their thoughts to god why because he's dull to them mm. you mean i got it you mean Wrong. i need to actually sit and i have to read my bible right can someone can someone just read it to me right is there an app for that where it'll read for me like and i can listen to it yeah, 10 it's minutes called the a preacher day? at my country club i mean church yeah you know and is the the things of god have just become dull to people that's why churches are filled with nothing but entertainment shallow messages that 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 basically tell the person what they want to hear i mean you've got 30 minute long music sets that are longer than the actual sermon mm-hmm. and it's all emotion driven 
none of it is Bible driven. And when it's not Bible driven, that means it can't deal with the things that the Bible deals with like sin and putting it to death. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's, I just listened to speaking. I know we were, you were joking earlier and referencing Daryl and Virgil on uh, just thinking, I just finished their latest uh, cultural denominationalism three hours and 13 minutes of just fire. (laughs) Um, And one of the things they're talking about in there with the whole concept of the world is watching Mm -hmm. and and both Daryl and Virgil, like the world's not watching. The world wants nothing to do with God. Right. They're bored with them. They don't care. They're too focused on themselves. Mm. So if that's the world, if that describes the world, and that's what we're seeing inside a lot of professing evangelical churches, what does that say about those who profess faith in Christ, who don the doors of those churches week in and week out to check it off their list and to be entertained and to have their egos stroked? They're not enthralled with the awe and majesty of a holy and majestic God in the least. Yeah. Because, because the, the world hates the things of God. If the world is watching the church, then that means that's a church that's mimicking the world and the world sees itself in there. So it really should be, it shouldn't be the world is watching right in reference to the Southern Baptist convention. It should be devil is satisfied. That's what it should be. Bruh. Uh, say that again. It, it, it shouldn't be the world is watching. It should be the devil is satisfied because once you've allowed the world into the doors of the church and you've sought to do church the way the world says you should do church, the devil is running your church. It's not, it's no longer Christ's church. It's no longer Christ's bride. You're now the mistress of Satan. And you're, now you're trying to keep the, keep the goats coming back in the seats in order to entertain them. That's what you have. That's the, that's the only way the world is watching the church mm-hmm. because like Daryl and Virgil said in that episode, the world wants nothing to do with the church. It's nope. foolishness. Nope. It's foolish. Like the, like the true church, the world looks at the true church and goes, you guys are dumb. You guys are stupid and I want nothing to do with you. Nope. Be gone. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, bro, so good. So good. Um, just kind of continuing. I mean, again, we could sit there and camp out there for a little bit, but, uh, just kind of starting to wrap this up, uh, the, uh, on page 97, he in continuing to talk about humility. Um, and, um, he, he says this, he says, the truth is that we all know enough of him to love him more than we do to delight in him delight in him and serve him to believe him and obey him and to put our trust in him much beyond our current attainments our darkness and weakness is no excuse for our negligence and disobedience who can say that he has lived up to the knowledge that he has of the perfections excellencies and will of God. God's purpose in giving us any knowledge of himself is that we may glorify him as God. That is that we love him, serve him, believe and obey him 
and give him all the honor and glory that is due from such poor sinful creatures to a sin-pardoning God and creator. Amen. And right on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, bro. Like that, that that's, I mean, he, he wraps it up by talking about waiting on, on the verdict. Don't, 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 uh, relieve yourself of the guilt and the weight of sin and the, um, um, before God does according, again, according to the scriptures and according to the spirit's work in your life. So, but by man, that last quote, I kind of wanted to wrap up right there is just, that's it, man. That, yeah. that, that's it. I mean, it's God has revealed himself, especially to those of us who profess faith and possess faith in Christ. God has revealed himself to us through Christ. God has revealed himself to us and illuminated for us the beautiful and wonderful truths found in his word mm-hmm. that we might love him, enjoy him, believe, obey him, and, and, and daily, I mean, multiple times a day. Stop and thank our sin-pardoning God for forgiving and equipping us to mortify, to go to war with, to put to death in the strongest of terms, the sin in our lives. Yep. Yeah. Um, I would ask, so Drew, how does this book argue with us? uh, But I think it's kind of self-explanatory. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. But man, um, as you, we, first, we hope that you get this book and that you read it. This is a book that every, everyone needs to have on their shelf. Yes. Um, but as you read this book and you understand what it means to mortify your sin and why we must mortify our sin, um, and why we must actually, you know, seek to be obedient to the Lord and, and Christ. I want you to, to think about this reading this book or after reading this book, think to yourself, how can I be clothed in the, the pure white linens of the sun Mm. And then seek to continue to go to the pig pen. Mm-hmm. Because Bro. this book will point will help you to point out all those places where you go, I went and rolled in the slop. I returned to my vomit. Mm-hmm. And so uh <clears throat> so that's just, you know. One of the things that uh, that I think would be good for us to ponder on, you know, yeah, you know how uh, how can he who clothed me in his right, not mine, because my linens aren't aren't clean. That's right. In his Oof, pure bro. white linens that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn, mm-hmm. he clothed me in that. Mm-hmm. So so why would I seek to attempt to justify? my sin why would why would i seek to 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 try to skate around it or 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 return to it and and return to the pig pens why Mm. yeah so 
Amen, brother. Amen. Just something for people to ponder on. Amen, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. That's good. Fantastic reminder. Um, and please understand as well that neither John Owen nor Drew or myself are advocating for any sort of works-based uh, salvation. Uh, I, I think we've made that clear, but I just want to officially go on record and say that. And, yeah. and uh, but uh, that's good stuff, brother. Salvation stuff. is by grace alone, through faith alone, faith and alone, Christ alone, alone, to the glory of God alone. According to the word of God alone. According to the word of God alone. That's correct. Christ's glory. Because Amen. that's only found in scripture. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, awesome, brother. Awesome. Well, man, I appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to the next one as uh, we continue to dive in on the Dead Guy Reader Society. We love you. We will see you next time. The book discussed on today's show can be found through the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know by reaching out to us on our social media platforms or by leaving a review. And don't forget to visit our store where you can get your Dead Guy Reader Society t-shirt and promote the fact that you are a proud reader of the Dead Guys.